Hyatt. Welcome to the Psych Effect Podcast. Today, my guest is Jeff Lautenberg. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for coming on. Hey, how you doing, Dimitri? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you tonight? Very good. Pleasure to be here for episode two. Yes, episode two. Yes, we're moving along. All right. I'm going to let you introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are and what you do. Go ahead. Sure. So I'm an attorney. I'm an intellectual property lawyer, do patent trademark law and technology law, internet law and business corporate work and litigation. And uh, personally, I grew up in South Florida. Uh, I like to play golf, play guitar. I'm into technology, follow the tech industry, like sci-fi. And that's pretty much it. Big sports guy, South Florida sports guy as well. Yeah, unfortunately, we're both Dolphins fans. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, we can get into that. That's, yeah, we, we can get yeah, into the misery that. I'm sure there's yeah. a whole Dolphins podcast out there. So. Yeah, we're going to have to find that, and maybe we can be guests on that Dolphins podcast and cry all together. But the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, specifically besides talking about the Dolphins and, and sci-fi stuff, is because one of the things in the news right now is the is the, something that's called Section 230. But what it actually is, is the uh, Communications Decency Act, 47 U.S. Code 230, which is a provision of the C- uh, Communications and Decency Act. I am not an attorney. I'm a doctor. So I don't know a whole hell of a lot about it. But basically what I understand it to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it allows First of all, it was it was passed in 1996. It's just kind of coming back into focus now because of what's happening with social media and kind of because social media kind of blew up a little bit. But it's an old law. It's uh, over 20 years old. And basically what it does is it protects internet co- internet providers from being liable for the content that's that's put on their sites by people that come on there. Am I right about that? Yeah. So, so I, you know, I'm not a, a, a specialist in communications law by any means. I mean, I'm more of the tech and IP side, but because this is, you know, obviously internet related, I have some knowledge of it. And well, what's important to understand about 230 is really it was enacted in 1996 before uh, broadband internet really was, was out there. Um, I think, geez, I think in 96, we probably had 56K modems, maybe not even that. Um, and, you know, it was the days of the AOLs and the prodigies and the CompuServe, right? Um, yeah, and I think and, I think Net Zero was still, was just starting up. I remember coming right. back, being in med school. Well, no, now I'm still in college then. Wow. I'm dating myself Yeah, so what's now. interesting about those, all of those companies is back in, back in those days, your ISP was also the provider of content, right? So, so the so now it's like my internet is through Xfinity, and Xfinity is really just providing me a, a conduit, a pipe to the internet, right? Their connection. Um, but back back then, you used AOL and you signed into AOL, and not only did you get a connection to the to the internet, in some cases you got connection to their content, whatever they were giving you. But the premise was that. They didn't want the AOLs and the ISP. It was really more for the ISPs. They didn't want the ISPs to be held liable for the content that was published by by the users or by other people, 
uh, on those sites. And, and a lot of it had to do with, you know, at that time, um, it was had dealt a lot with news reporting, a lot with defamatory stuff. Um, the, the laws really, you know, they didn't complicate, uh, contemplate this cesspool of, of what's going on now in the world on the internet, particularly with, uh, you know, criminals and, uh, you know, sexual crimes and, and things like that, that goes, that goes on through the internet. So the, but, but nonetheless, the statute's been interpreted over time to basically say that, um, if you per, if you offer a website and people can put content on there and put their own original content, you're not you're not going to be held liable um, for whatever may result from those people, you know, the users' content on your uh, service. So back then, like you know, AOL provided like news feeds, so AOL wasn't responsible for like the news that they provided that they pulled from other providers? Right, so if they were pulling it, for example, from the AP, then the AP would be on the hook. But you, if something, if something, let's say the AP Associated Press ran a, a story that was false for whatever reason, and the AP got sued for defamation, um, the law basically said you couldn't also sue America AOL simply because they were, they were providing a means to, uh, uh, you know, to catch that article. And the best analogy I can give is that the concept is, well, if you're providing a service like that, you're you're no different than the newsstand. Okay, so you don't you don't sue the newsstand because you picked up a, uh, a newspaper and bought it from the newsstand, and there was something defamatory about you in the newspaper, right? That that's kind of the concept. Um, but but what has happened is that the because of social media and the way that everything's gone. Uh, these form the these sites like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram are really becoming public forums, okay. Um, and not only that, they can be used in so many different nefarious ways that were not even understood or contemplated when the revision was made in 1996. Um, so that that's the biggest problem right now. Um, the, this issue comes up a lot now because, for example, there has been some case law that has said that um, social media sites like Twitter can be in certain circumstances treated like a public forum, which means that uh, not only can Twitter not, they cannot uh, stop free speech, um, but they can be held liable if they do try to prevent free speech. Um, now, what's, what they're proposing to happen with the Decency Act is that if Facebook or Twitter or the social media sites are knowingly permitting uh, unlawful conduct through their sites, that they can be held liable. So there's a couple different issues. One is a free speech issue. One is the concept of allowing like political infiltration and espionage and sexual predators. Well, isn't that already covered? Crimes. Isn't that already covered by the CDA? Like child, you know, child predators and things like that. If they, if these con, if these service providers are knowingly have these people on and they do nothing, isn't that already covered by the CDA? 
it, it might it might have been interpreted that way in certain circumstances, but the general premise of the way that it's drafted now is that uh, they're not they're just simply not on the hook. I see. Okay, so um, so they're they don't they don't have to turn illegal activity in, even if they find it. That I don't know. I think that is a different issue. If they know about it. That that's a different issue, but what it generally generally the proposition is that if you're if you're a victim, let's say of a financial scam or something like that, again you can't sue the Facebooks of the world because some user went on there and scammed you, right? It's like if a deal goes wrong on eBay. Now forget about their terms of service or whatever their dispute policies are. Generally speaking, you can't go after eBay because some guy in uh you know in the ukraine ripped you off on your ipod right, right. so it, again so uh unfortunately in a in a horrible situation where you know some child uh is a victim to a sexual predator the family can't sue uh you know the, the section 230 would essentially provide immunity for uh the facebook or the twitter if it even if the the communications happened through their their means or their chat rooms or through their messaging and they've already had issues like this before too because there have been people that have recorded murders on facebook and right. suicides on facebook and facebook is you know they've not been held liable for those things too right right and actually uh, matter of fact when i was a young lawyer um i don't want to get into it too much but there was an incident like that. It wasn't anything that occurred live, but basically somebody committed a murder and then posted pictures of it to Facebook and said, look what I did. And um, there, there was the thought that, well, Facebook needs to take all that down um, and they need to be held responsible for it. And 230 says that they're not. Now, in practicality, does Facebook take the pictures down? Of course they do. But as far as suing them for disseminating the pictures in a certain way, uh, CDA 230, as it stood at that time, and as it basically sits now, would say, uh, no, you, 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 can't, you can't go after them. I that's, actually that's remember that case. Yeah. That was in Miami, right? Yeah. That, that I actually remember that case. That was yeah. 10 years ago? That, yeah, probably, yeah, because yeah. it was probably when I was a first or second year lawyer. Yeah, I actually do remember that case. See, it was a, a guy killed his girlfriend and then he posted it on Facebook. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so the CDA protected Facebook in that, uh, but I do remember them taking it down. Um, yeah, of course they're going to take it down because it's the right thing to do. Um, but really, it's all about liability, right? I mean, that's what all these, these – that's what the uproar is all about now because Facebook doesn't want to have to get brought into uh, crazy lawsuits that are really disputes between two people where Facebook merely, you know, provided the conduit. So again, the analogy of Facebook's providing you the billboard or the newsstand or the, um, you know, the public square. Okay. You can't sue the city of Hollywood if you get murdered on the footsteps of the courthouse, you know, perhaps, perhaps if there was a, a negligent security, that's a different thing, but, but but they're providing they're just providing the avenue for the communications, right? Right. Um, similar thing 
with, uh, you know, any, any service like Airbnb, whatever, where you're putting two people together to, to do deals, whatever it is, um, you shouldn't be held just because you're providing that service doesn't mean you should be held responsible for what transpires. Um, well, you know, when, when we're talking about like big companies like Facebook and Twitter, they can, you know, uh, or Snapchat or, or bigger companies like that, you know, even if they were sued, they could handle these lawsuits financially. But the reason, you know, the CDA is important as far as the way it's the way it's written now is because of smaller, you know, bloggers and things like that. If if you put up a website and you're an individual, for instance, and you have a comment section and someone posts something on there um, and CDA didn't exist or 230 didn't exist you could be held liable for what they post on there. Correct. Right. Correct. So it, it not only protects these huge companies, but it also protects individuals who have their own websites. So it's, it's sort of important for, for those people too. So the reason it's kind of in the news now is because um, there's a push to kind of change that and uh, sort of rearrange the law because there are a lot of, a lot of uh, politicians and it's not, just i know i know the that trump signed a executive order but i was reading today and i don't know if i can find it um i'm not i don't know if i'm going to be able to find it um here it is i found it uh mark warner who is a virginia democrat and he's a venture capitalist um he's also a critic of of 230 but he's not exactly a fan of the uh, the executive order. But so it's it's got critics on both sides of the aisle. Um, yeah. Well, but, here let, let me read you this blurb, and I think this will be helpful to frame it because we talked a little bit about the exceptions. Okay. So there are exceptions at two thirty, which are, are no, you know, you know, if you know of a, if you know of a crime. Um, so if, if you're running a, a chat site that's accessible for sexual predators, you're obviously going to be on the hook, right, if it's a knowing thing. And then if there's an IP rights violation, like an infringement, of course, um, you, you potentially could be held liable. But basically what the, the – okay, so the language of the statute that's relevant as it sits now says, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So it's interesting the way it's been interpreted as the last part of that, another information content provider, that could either be a third-party service or it could just be a third-party person, a user of the site, right? Um, okay, can you it, say that in English? Because um... Right. <laughs> so, so again, again, um, online intermediaries that host or republish speech, so you're either hosting speech, you have commenting, chatting, blogging, posting tweets, whatever. Okay. Uh, you're protected against laws that might otherwise be used to hold you legally responsible for what others say and do. That's how it's been interpreted. Um, so again, the original concept was generally to protect internet service providers, but it's been expanded. And they talk about um, interactive service providers, any online service that that allows for third-party content to be posted, meaning 
users' comments, or that like kind of like republishes articles, right, or, or content. So, so blogging, reblogging, that kind of thing. Um, okay. So, so the question for that I have for you is, what don't you like about that law? It's not that I don't like it. I actually like it a lot. Um, right. And what I don't like. Um, is that I don't think it should be changed. I actually like it exactly the way it is. Um, what I'm what I'm reading about the the executive order is that is that people the 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 politicians that are agreeing with the executive order also think it's outdated uh, on both sides. Is that they think it's outdated. And I didn't realize until actually today that it was from 1996. I thought it was right. recent. I thought it was recent because Twitter was founded in 2007. Facebook was officially founded. I mean, it was founded earlier, but it was officially became a company, I think, in like 2004. Um, and that's when I thought this whole thing started to mm -hmm. protect that. But I didn't realize that it came from 1996. So when when I read that they thought it was outdated, I thought, what do you mean it's outdated? It was like 13 years ago. But no, it's 20, it's 24 years 24 old. 24 years ago. So maybe it time, is outdated. Think about, right. Think about what I said at the beginning in, in 96, dial-up internet. No one had – well, we had cell phones, but there was no apps. The iPhone didn't – No, they were all flip phones. Yeah. Right. Flip phones. The iPhone didn't come out until 2007. 11 right. years later and even the first iphone didn't have apps there was no okay apps. but fine but but like okay so it's outdated but how is it outdated so it it what's what about it is outdated sense, it's outdated in the sense that nobody contemplated the public forum aspect that has come uh, particularly to twitter right because on facebook you can kind of um you can be have a more limited circle right and there's not you don't have all, all this news content that everyone can really comment on. So, so Twitter is a little bit more advanced, but you didn't have this public discourse occurring to this level so what? combined with marketing, advertising, influencing people's decisions. Um, and yeah, but, for example, yeah. no one would, no one, I don't think that there would be any, substantial uh you know evidence or circumstances where somebody used aol in a manner to influence an election right the technology just no. wrong enough to be able to target people in the way that they no back then now. no back then there were people on the side of the street with signs screaming at you Right. But, but that's what Twitter is. It's people on the right. side of the street with signs screaming at you, but they do it on the internet. But you have the choice. You don't have to log into Twitter. Of course not. Of course so, not. But when you do, when you do, all your data is being tracked. Okay, everyone, all, all your all your activity, all your purchases, it's all being fed into an advertising system. Uh, you ha just have all this discourse that's going on. But what does that have to do? What is your data being tracked have to do with the freedom of speech? Because you are say whatever you want. Because the technology, right? Okay. So, but the technology is such that uh, you are being passively influenced by all of the content that's occurring and all the discourse that's being occurring on social media, right? The free speech thing is is different. 
the issue with free speech is really whether Facebook or Twitter can remove your content because they don't like it, assuming it's not criminal or inciting of a riot. Right. Well, isn't that isn't that the issue with the EO? Is that he and and I'm I'm trying to pull up the EO without making this too boring. Um, it in the petition. Um, this is this is Dimitri Reads. This part of the podcast is Dimitri Reads. So feel free to fast forward if you don't want to listen to me read. In the petition for rulemaking, the executive order directs the NTIA, which is the um, the um, uh, the National Telecommunications and Information Administration to request that the FCC expeditiously propose regulations to clarify the implications and scope of Section 230. Specifically, the FCC will be asked to clarify how restricting content under Section 230C2 could affect an online platform's liability shield under Section 230C1. The order further seeks to codify in regulations the conditions under which an online platform's actions do not constitute, quote, good faith. With regard to the FTC, which is the Federal Trade Commission, the executive order directs the commission to consider taking action against online platforms that restrict speech in ways that do not align with those entities' public representations about those practices. To me, this sounds very vague. It almost sounds okay. like it almost sounds like, you know, if if the government doesn't like the way you do business or the way you have people on your platform speaking, we're going to restrict your right to operate and we're going to fine you for having people on your platform speak. And to me, that sounds like a First Amendment violation. But right. So so it, the free speech aspect of 230 is it? different part of this deal and that's what that's says, what i'm talking about okay so so let's talk about that what it says is that the the provider so the facebook or the twitter cannot be held liable if they remove material in good faith that the provider or the user considers to be and here here's here i'll read it again obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected, right? So the issue with that is it basically gives discretion to the provider to decide to take something down because they don't agree with it. And is it the provider who gets to decide that or is it the yeah, government? Because it says, no, it says no provider or user shall be held liable on account of any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, blah, 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 right? Okay, so, so what's, why, why give the order? It's already there. Okay, so, but, but what the, the order is, is it's political, right? And I'm not going to take sides on this, but essentially the administration right now doesn't like the fact that social media companies can remove content that they may believe is objectionable whether or not it's constitutionally protected so facebook is entitled to remove free speech that they don't like which means if if they wanted to 
they could remove every comment that was in their mind liberal and they could make the whole website only conservative viewpoints. And, right. And although I think that that's objectionable, I think that they have the right to do that because they're a private right. company. A pri right. They're a public so, company, but they're not owned by the government. What I, what I mean by private companies, they're not owned by the government. Right. So right. the issue is that, in a sense, and this goes back to what I said before, that mm -hmm. Twitter and Facebook have been treated in certain circumstances as a public forum, that mm -hmm. perhaps they shouldn't be allowed to hide behind the breadth of 230C2A in particular uh, to to remove content that they just believe in their own mind isn't right. Um, so then, in other words, if you provide if you provide an online social media site that has such broad user base and it's it's so it's so much so a public forum, then the argument is they should not be allowed to remove content uh, unless it falls within, you know, likely very extreme circumstances. Well, then if you're if 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 they're saying that they are a public forum, then what they're saying is that they're public and therefore they're government property right uh right and 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 well it's 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 a little more nuanced than that but but facebook and twitter if, if i'm representing them i don't want them to be deemed a public forum oh i agree with you i i don't so, think that they should be right but, and but I, it you sounds know, I like that's have... what the government is saying is that they're a public forum which would be no different than you walking out onto the street in the middle of the state capital area and speaking and that exactly. area is owned by the government and therefore exactly. what they're saying is twitter facebook instagram snapchat all of these social media companies should be federally run and that sounds like that s word that everybody hates they're not saying that they should be federally run but what they're saying is is that they should be treated for purposes of free speech as a public forum which means that the companies cannot they should not be allowed to remove uh uh for example political speech simply because it doesn't jive with what they want on their site right facebook has generally taken the position that they're you know they're not going to remove anything right okay but, but 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 other services have have taken other other stances okay but then all right but if they're going to do that then they can't remove anything right so they can't remove terrorism right well right i mean i think i think right that, so where are I they going to draw a, that line no there is absolutely a difference between let's you know if you look at c2 again but there's a big difference between obscene lewd lascivious uh excessively violent filthy harassing uh you know when you get into language otherwise objectionable that's that's a problem i think that that's too that's too vague Really? But if you're talking about criminality, if you're talking about things that, um, you know, th there, there's a big pornography problem on Twitter, right? Because, Correct. Yeah. You, you, you know, you can, the stuff's right out there and under, there's no like block for underage uh, users necessarily. There's an attempt at it, but it's very weak. Um, and there's like a little drop down that says, you know, this may be offensive, but if you want to see it, click here right yeah this it's a it's a block that says this is um what does it say it says uh this is this might be objection no it, it says something like this is like uh uh nude content or something like that 
And all you got to right. do is click it and it pops up. But you right. can't you can't prevent under 18-year-old people from joining a website unless you have a credit card, right? Right. I mean, right. That's that's the age That's the only problem. way to prevent right. someone from joining that. And and I suppose Twitter and Facebook can do that. They can Yeah, create. but they're not going to. They're not going to. Um now they could create buckets where you can only get into certain, you know, certain places, but but that's not what they want to do, right? Um, you know, but, this but look, I mean, look, this is all this is all ultimately there's political motives to this. Um because they're concerned about uh you know, they're concerned about the government is concerned about the social media sites that appear to be public forums taking it into their own hands to decide what should and shouldn't appear on the site. That's really what it is. Right. Okay. And, you know, the, the, the this becomes, you know, uh, I hate, I hate making slippery slope arguments, but this is kind of what it is because uh, there, the, this started with uh, fate uh, with um, Twitter adding a, a um, a uh, fact check to one of Donald right. Trump's tweets, and he freaked out. Right. Um, but when I say that they, you know, they they won't be able to remove terrorists and stuff like that, you know, there is there is a there is a line between obviously criminal activity. But if you look at some political trolls on Twitter, you have a Twitter account. Yeah. Of course. Um. If you look at some political trolls on Twitter, it's hard to discern some of them from from terrorists. <laughs> they're, I don't, they're pretty I, I cool. don't uh, use Twitter for um, political purposes. I try to stay away from that. I use it for humor and sports and stuff like that. But yes, I know what you're saying. And look, there's been there's been hundreds of years of of constitutional law surrounding the free speech issue that deal with forget about social media they deal with protest right where is the line between a peaceful protest where you're enjoying free speech and inciting violence riots or disorderly conduct so you can you can protest all you want everyone says well it's a free country but as soon as you start doing it in a way that's kind of going to cause violence or physical harm to person or property, the free speech thing kind of starts getting eroded, right? You don't, you can't use free speech to result in violent acts. Right. You can't yell fire in a, in a movie theater. Right. 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 And you pretty much know if you yell fire in a movie theater, people are going to trample each over each other and get hurt. Exactly. Um, so, and, you know, we've seen a lot of this stuff with the protests and, and what goes on, you know, recently, and I don't really want to get into that too much, but, but I mean, that, that's really what they're saying is most people are not taking to the streets to get, to get their free speech across. What are they doing? They're going on social media, right? They're sitting in front of their screens and they're using that as a means instead of standing out front of the white house with, you know, with with your your signs and your picket line, you're just going on on Twitter, and should or shouldn't they be allowed to regulate free speech? Okay, all right. Well, along that lines, 
I want to ask, is there any way that we as Dolphin fans can get our voice heard because um, I'm sick and tired <laughs> of this franchise ruining my life? So is there a way We're that... good now. We're good now. Is, is there a way that that we can go on Twitter and and protest uh, using CDA or some way or something that we can protest the Dolphins for okay, ruining well, the last twenty years of my life? I'm a first of all, I'm a. I agree that it's been a hard road as a Dolphin fan, but I'm a big buyer. Oh, for Christ's of, sake, a hard of, road. Of Torres. Um, and by the way, the Dolphin social media accounts, like they're killer. They don't like, answer. Like, no, but they're like content and some of the best content I've seen of any of like the team's content. Like they really do it well. Um, wow. No, I'm a big buyer of the new regime. I'm a big buyer of Tua. Were, were you a buyer of the previous regime? No, I was never an Adam Gase fan. Okay. All right. What about the one before never, that? Nope. The last head coach I liked was Tony Sperano. Rest in peace. Oh, for Christ's sake. The one the one that was clapping for field goals. Well, right. well, but I mean, we had some success with Chad Pennington that one year, and we did some good things. That, you, know yes, why we had, him? you know why we had success that year? is because Tom Brady got hurt. That was okay, the year fine. Tom Brady got hurt. Okay, okay but if he didn't get hurt. Well, we also had Brett Favre at okay. that time. He played I, for the Jets. I, I want to point out. I want to point out to everyone that you are a season ticket holder. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, uh, this is. I am a season ticket holder. For how uh, long now? Well, me personally, I think this is my third year. Oh, uh, really? It's only been three years. Okay. Right. I but thought when it was I was longer. No, when I was a kid, we probably had tickets. My my dad bought tickets when Joe Robbie Stadium opened up in 1987, and we probably oh, okay. had season tickets through. 2001 or 2002, you know, when I went to college, basically probably when he stopped. Okay. And then it made he may have even had him for a few years after that. And then we picked him up more recently um, because it was kind of like something we wanted to do. But, you know, I've, I've been going to all the heartbreak. I've been to all the heartbreak games. I've watched all the heartbreak games on TV, you know, all the disaster seasons. Uh, and look, it's uh, – Hope springs eternal, right? No. no. <laughs> yes, it no. does. You know what? Yes, when I was does. when I was a Every kid year growing I go up, to training camp and I sit in the stands in the hundred degree heat and I say, "This is the year, we got it." Oh my god! Oh my god! You know what? When I was a child, um, and I was I was growing up with Dan Marino, who, as you can see, is behind. Well, no, they can't see it on the podcast because this is audio only. But I have a I have a signed jersey of Dan Marino behind me. And when I was a kid growing up, the Cincinnati Bengals made it to the Super Bowl. They made it to Super Bowl 23 against the 49ers. And they were 40 seconds away from beating Joe Montana. And Joe Montana ripped their heart out. And that was the last time the Bengals were useful at all in in football. At all. Yeah. Um, Boomer Esiason was on that team. And, and that was the last time the Bengals were useful. And I remember... In the 90s, the Bengals didn't win, didn't have a winning season that entire decade. And the Dolphins were good. They had Dan Marino, the Don Shua, uh, I think the Clayton, uh, the, the Clay, um, the Mark Brothers, Mark, the Mark, the Mark Brothers were there the early part of the 90s. 
uh, you know, OJ McDuffie, they were, they were still good. They were, they were making it to the, the AFC championship and goddamn Buffalo were killing them every year. They were knocking them out of the playoffs, but, but at least they were making the playoffs and we had hope. And I remember thinking what an awful, what an awful place to be if you were a Bengals fan, because the team never won more than like, I think four or five games a year. Um, they just were atrocious. There was never any hope. Year after year, they were terrible. I think they had Corey Dillon one year, uh, a few years, and he was fantastic. He was a great running back. But I always remember being like, I, I never want to be a Bengals fan. And you know what? You know what we are now? We're Bengals fans. That's what we are. We're Bengals fans. We're, I, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I, I I'm we're sad. No, we're something worse than Bengals fans. And here's why. We we've wallowed in mediocrity between six and six and eight wins for years upon years upon years upon years, and that's worse. Being middle of the road and never getting worse or better, and never having a chance at a high draft pick, and we blew some high draft picks. We have had them. We've had bad years, but on average, we've always been not bad enough to get a good pick and not good enough to make the playoffs. And you know, that's I, worth I, I would I would a hundred percent agree with that, but the Bengals were so bad every year they had high draft picks and they blew them all the time. Is it worse to be mediocre and have mediocre draft picks and still not hit those or have really high draft picks and not hit any of those ever? I don't know. Because we, we would be mediocre and then we'd go sign like some hugely expensive free agent like Joey Porter or something and spend a ton of money on these free agents that would do nothing for us because they were on the tail end of their career. So th- they've gotten away from like that. Chad That's Pennington. <laughs> right. Chad but he was Pennington. great. Um, he was, Oh my God. He couldn't throw past 20 yards. That's all he had to do. Oh my God. All he had to do. I, I can't, I can't with yeah. this. <laughs> but look, but look, but look, now it's different, right? Now we're young. We're not buying it. You know, we, we did sign some free agents, but we signed a lot of them. So instead of signing one, $50 million free agents. We signed three or four, you know, uh, a better contracts. There are a few bad contracts on, on the books, but generally we're more even our spending while it's high is makes a lot more sense. We've got Tua. They invested in all these big guys in the draft and we're on our way. We're setting up the foundation. Our defense, by the way, is going to be real legit this coming year. Our offense may not be ready yet, but we're gonna set set up a defense. Defense we're can't be probably have a top. Now nah, we're probably gonna have a top ten defense this year. And if our offense stinks and we win only seven or eight games, fine. Because then next year we're gonna have a top five defense. I will tell so, you that I'm I'm as excited this year as I have been since I think um, since um, I think since 2013 when they signed uh, what's his face in Detroit. Sue. I never liked. I never liked the guy. I never liked that pick. wasn't a fan. That of was him. the last time I was excited about the Dolphins. wasn't a fan. We we paid him so much money, and like yeah, yeah he paid look, too much. He's really good. I just didn't think he was the right fit for what we needed at that time. No, but that's so. the Dolphins' mo over the last twenty years. Is they sign someone they they that isn't a good fit because it's something that they think they need. You know, right? Um, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think, you know, um, I have a friend who's uh, an Alabama fan, enormous Alabama fan. And as soon as we took Tua, he texted me 
and told me that we had finally found the real quarterback. After 20 years, finally, finally found the real quarterback. Yep. Yep, we did. We did. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. If he can stay out of the emergency room, I think we might actually have a real quarterback. So we were talking before we went live, and you said that if we ever get light speed, that light speed travel, that we're going to put Bill, a Bill Nye type person on the first flight out. Um, you don't think we're going to put military personnel like they did in? I would hope did you, so. Did you watch? Uh, did you watch Enterprise, the one with Scott Bakula? No, um, I was in a, I was in a, um, a Star Trek uh, void for a while after, um, after Next Generation ended. I didn't watch, um, I watched Voyager. That was the last show I watched. I didn't watch um, Deep Space Nine because they didn't go anywhere. Even well, though I, I was told that that was a great show. It was. It's really good. And actually, I think it, I think it started before. Voyager. So and before maybe, Voyager, yeah. And maybe ended after or ended right around the same time that Voyager ended. Um, yeah. I When I was young and when Voyager was first out on UPN, I thought it was great. And then I watched it. I remember one summer in law school, I was like, all right, I'm going to Netflix it. And this was before you could stream on Netflix. You had to get the DVDs. And I was like, I'm going to watch all of Voyager. And it, it didn't hold up at all. I made it through like two seasons and then i just really yeah it didn't hold up for me i watched two or three seasons of it and then skipped to the last season and then just finished it and i was done i couldn't do it well, the acting it's, was it's terrible different. like it, yeah, when I mean, I, look when i watched it as a kid i loved it i just felt it was terrible after after all those years even though i could watch the next generation episodes well okay, them next generation time. The next generation's like it's one of those like perfect shows that never ever gets old, and I, and I think it's because Gene Roddenberry was still alive. Uh, Gene Roddenberry had this vision for the show where um, he he hamstrung the writers in the when he died after the fifth season, I think, or the fourth season, I can't remember. Um, but he basically told the writers like. You can't have any conflict. Right. There's no conflict yeah. in the future. Yeah. Uh, everybody works everything out through talking, and that's it. And the writers were like, "We can't write this. Right. <laughs> like, that's how not do you write? Show. That doesn't sell. <laughs> how do you write without conflict? That doesn't yeah. work." And and that's why I think it worked. The show worked because they had to actually think of ways of solving problems without yelling at each other. Right. And and you can tell like after the fourth or fifth season i think after the one where picard turns into the borg which is the fourth season the 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 one where um what do they call it where they they, they have a cliffhanger at the end of one season right best of both worlds or, best of both or, worlds or, yeah. after that season it got real dark like the borg showed up all the time and q right. started fucking with people a lot worse and yeah there's uh, definitely a tone shift yeah there's a tone sure. shift but everybody seems to like those the most like in the show because of the tonal shift, but it was still Star Trek. Right. You know, and it was still Gene Roddenberry Star Trek. I think right. Alan Kurtzman started taking over as the showrunner and um, he started making it, but, but Roddenberry's vision was still there. Um, but once he died, it just became something different. And Voyager, I don't know, Voyager's 
just it's a different show they're in a different quadrant it's all kinds of different but i thought voyager got better as it went along it, it did in a sense but the, see okay first of all deep space nine you got to watch it it's actually really really good because it 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 it's almost darker than the next generation at the time that you were just referencing uh, but it, you stayed in that world, right? Voyager, the, prob- the problem with Voyager, in a sense, was that the, the, every episode was like to try to come up with something new just for the sake of it being new and different. You didn't, they, they tried to have some like recurring villains, so to speak, or, or maybe races that they ran into at different points. But it, it, I don't know, there's just something about it that bothered me. Now, Enterprise, what I was getting to was. That, so Enterprise goes back before the original series, right? So right. think of the Enter- Enterprise. If you have, I don't think you said you haven't seen it, but I think in the first episode they they christen the Enterprise, and it's the first ship that can go. I want to say it goes warp three, and warp three. So they had warp, you know, the Zeph and Cochran invents warp, whatever they have it. But it's not really viable for, for truly deep space exploration because it's actually not fast enough. So they finally get Warp 3, so they send this ship off. And they have this weird mix of a crew. And, like, you know how in the next generation, the security, uh, what did security wear? The yellow uniforms, like, they were a little bit more rough and tumble than the science or the executive officers. But, like, they were, they were still pretty tame. Right. In Enterprise, there was kind of like the idea of you have a bunch of military dudes, military type astronauts with a bunch of science and technical type astronauts. And by military, they were like pretty rough. Like they were like, you know, it was they were less refined, so to speak. So that was kind of like what I was thinking of when you said, oh, who are they going to okay. send out That's on our first ship? <clears throat> but see, because you're going to send you're going to send a Navy SEAL with Bill Nye, the science guy. And what are you going to get? Yeah, you but know? here's the thing about what happened to Star Trek. Did you ever watch? Did you watch Discovery? No, I haven't watched any of the new. I have not watched or Discovery. Picard or anything. Oh, let, let me just clarify, by the way, Enterprise. Uh, it's not that great, but it was no, interesting. It's not. it's not. It's not that great, but it was interesting because it had the whole prequel thing to it. There were some story arcs in there that just went off and it was just terrible. But no, I haven't watched Discovery or Picard. All right. So I watched the first episode of Picard and um, I didn't watch Discovery at all because I watched the trailers for it. And I knew immediately that it wasn't Star Trek. And the only reason I watched the first episode of Picard is because it had, it had Patrick Stewart in it and it was called Picard. And I watched the first episode of Picard and I realized it wasn't Star Trek either. Um, I, what they've done to Star Trek is criminal. Like, I, I can't even... I, Enterprise, I think Enterprise was probably the last real Star Trek series. And I don't know that it kind of I, I don't know i didn't watch it but everything i read about it it was just it was sort of a failure um i read about the last episode and my understanding of the last episode is it wasn't is that the entire series was just a hollow a holodeck um a holodeck program for Riker. 
of Enterprise. Yeah. I, yeah. Enterprise was the, the the Enterprise series was just an entire holodeck. Yeah, I think that, I think it was one of those. I honestly don't remember. I mean, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember exactly how I felt about it, but I think it was one of those where you could interpret it, uh, you know, one way or the other. And it's like, are you serious right now? The entire right. series was just. It was like Lost was like because was they were like, trying to like they, tie, they were trying to like link it to the other stuff. Yeah, and but look, they, if you're going to link it, link it to the original look, series, right? I, right, but I believe that they faced extreme criticism because they went out of canon for a lot of things in Enterprise, and that was part of the problem. Okay, see, so they had to like try I mean, to bring it back. They they. The, the people that started to take over Star Trek don't really like Star Trek and don't really understand it. It's these guys like Kurtzman and stuff. I don't remember if he did Enterprise or not, but I know he did Discovery and I know he did, he's doing Picard and they don't like Star Trek. And I, I think, I, I think that I've read that Patrick Stewart doesn't like Star Trek either. And he had a lot of influence in this Picard series. And a lot of the things he said is I don't want to wear the uniform I don't want to do anything from the old series. And it's like, dude, the old series was Star Trek. This crap that you're putting out now is not it. it, it there's a YouTube channel called Red Letter Media. I don't know if you've seen this. They're like, they're like a uh, movie. Um, they, they went to film school and they're like, they review movies and they're really good at reviewing movies. But um, one of the guys or two of the guys are like super Star Trek buffs. Like they, they, literally know every word to every episode ever of the the next generation voyager deep space nine and i think probably the original series too and they have gone through uh reviews of every movie of the new star trek movies and discovery and picard and they've torn them apart and they've done it in a really intelligent way to show why they're actually not star trek because Star Trek's very cerebral, right? You know, it's uh, you know they solve problems with thought and you know problem solving and talking and stuff like that. And Discovery and Picard is they're shooting each other. Oh, really? It's like a lot of action. It's like it's just they're shooting like it, um, there's a there's a scene in in Picard where somebody's getting his eye plucked out. Like, are you serious right now? <laughs> well, that might be that might be a symptom of like where TV is now. Like, where TV is very it might violent, be. it's very explicit. Yeah. People expect it, like you know, with Breaking Bad and Walking Dead and Sons of Anarchy and all these shows, Shameless. Like, they they expect just the the macabre and the and the and the, and the extreme, right? You want to see everything. Everything has to be explicit. So that's probably yeah, it, part of it. It's 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 awful. I'm I'm trying to pull it up right now. Um, people, um, you know, I don't even know if they'll be able to hear it, but it's called um, it's called Mr. Plinkett's Star Trek Picard Review by Red Letter Media. And if you go on YouTube, I encourage everyone listening to this. However many people are going to listen to this, if you like Star Trek and you think you like Picard. Go watch this video. It's an hour and a half long. Their Star Trek reviews are phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, there's there's a recurring character on their channel called Mr. Plinkett, which is like this slob with a a slow voice. And it's 
and it, he does he does these reviews. He does Star Wars too. And what do they say? What do they say about the the movies that came out recently in the two thousands? Uh, he does he does all those reviews too, and they're like what, two hours long. Right. What's your like general? My really? opinion of him, he doesn't like them either. No. Again, but the reviews aren't just him talking into the camera like we are. He actually shows show clips, clips of the movie, and, right, and, and he shows right why they're terrible, and here's the reason why. So, like, he'll show, like, in the Picard review, he'll be like, here's Picard in in the Picard show, and he'll say, you know, um, you know, th- this is Picard's personality in, in the Picard show. I'm like, oh, really? This is Picard's personality? And then they'll show a clip of him in Next Generation, the complete opposite of the way he is now. It's like, what what happened? And like 20 years, he became a, a completely new person. Like in the Picard show, like supposedly he's got this super like special relationship with Data. All of a sudden Data's like his best friend and like he loves Data. But they show clips of him from the next generation where he's like, he doesn't even care about Data. Data's like some dude like that's on his ship. Like he has no cares about Data at all. You know what I mean? Like, Data's just some guy. You know, um, Data died in the next generation, or they thought he died. There was an episode of Next Generation where Data goes out on a shuttlecraft and the shuttlecraft blows up. And I, it's, I don't remember the name of the episode, but he goes out on a shuttlecraft, the shuttlecraft bl- explodes. And I think the premise of the episode was Data was uh, kidnapped off of the shuttlecraft, and the shuttlecraft was exploded to make uh, it seem like I, Data yeah, was remember, kid yeah. was destroyed. Was he was yeah. he was killed for like a collector or something like that. And Jordy just wouldn't let it go because Jordy's his best friend, right? He's like Data wouldn't make a mistake to make he just doesn't make mistakes. Like, and it, it made it look like Data made a mistake and like the thing blew up. That's what the, right. they made it look like. But like Jordy's like, he wouldn't make a mistake. Like Data doesn't make mistakes. He's a computer. You know what right. I mean? Like he just doesn't do that. And Picard was like, you people need to move on. Data's dead. Get over it. And like all of a sudden now like Data's his best friend. You know, like he can't just get over the fact that Data killed himself. You know, for him, he sacrificed his life in the last movie in Nemesis for him. Even though he right. didn't really sacrifice it for Picard, he sacrificed it for everyone in nemesis it's just it's like it's one of these things like these people that made picard don't know star trek like if 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 you were a lay person and you'd never actually seen the next generation what do you know about star trek you know jean-luc picard you know the starship enterprise you know data you know um engage right you know uh make it so like you know the catchphrases, and and you know that Data was an android, and you know people liked him, and uh, you know uh, Seven of Nine was a Borg. Um, you know that Riker and Troy had a thing together, like very superficial kind of level of what Star Trek was, but you don't know the essence of what they were. You don't know why they had a relationship. You don't know what Picard really was like in his day-to-day on the enterprise so it's a very superficial kind of star trek show with just a bunch of lasers and ninja kicks and people beheading people with swords and stuff and it's like 
Right, but look, look, the reality is is they're trying to get the casual viewer and you're competing against so much more content that it's the only it's the only way, right? It's the only way that they're actually gonna get a viewer. Yeah, but they're gonna if alienate act, the people that love Star Trek like me. They've already done that. And the point is is that if you the people who really love Star Trek is like a couple million people, right? And they're trying I know, to know that's what's annoying right? about it. Well, it's probably not even a couple million people at this point. So if they created a show that was actually tailored to the true fans, it would be a commercial flop and they'd never be able to sell it. You know what the best part of Star Trek was? That's why fan fiction exists, right? Fan fiction exists purely to serve the, the canonical fan. But I don't want to. I don't want to read something written by a fan. I want to. No, they do movies and TV shows and, and web yeah. web series and things. You know what the best part of Star Trek for me was? Like, I can turn on BBC America. They have like Star Trek episodes running every once in a while, and I can slip into the first five minutes of a Star Trek episode and watch an entire episode and never need to watch another episode. It starts, it ends, and that's the episode. And right, they're over. little boxes. They're right. little. They're little. They're like, thing, they're they're like, like episodes of Seinfeld. They're, they're right, exactly. They're just an yeah. episode. D- D- Picard, Discovery. I have to, if I just watched like episode four of Picard, I wouldn't have any idea what was going on. Ah, so maybe that's a major difference. And they're serialized, and it's like, like I don't care about what's like, what's going on here. Like they're movies. Like I don't have time think, for all this in I my life. I think the next generation became more serialized towards the end. But at the beginning, I actually recently watched the first couple seasons on Netflix or whatever, and it was very uh, – I don't know what – there's a TV term for it, but it was like hard reset. Episodic. Right. Episodic. It was hard reset at the end of every episode at the beginning of the next. Like yeah, was, episodic. But, yeah. but they, they had – no, they had themes. They had Worf's story was a theme, was an underlying theme. So every, every like, you know, fifth episode, you know, something would come up about his past. Like they, they, they had character arcs. You know, Picard. Right. Once Picard but was assimilated, what was happening? But but in that episode, yeah. it had a beginning and it had an end. You know what I mean? And then the cliffhanger, the the serial part would happen at the end of the season. There would be a cliffhanger. Or like right. in the middle of the season, they would have a two-parter. You know what I mean? But it wouldn't be the entire season would be like a movie that you had to watch from beginning to end. Any of the two-parters, the second part, it would conclude and that would be it. Yeah, that would be the end of it. Like, right. you know, Worf would have like Worf's story of like, you know, he he left, you know, he was a Klingon that became, you know, an officer, not an officer, but like a, a Starfleet. Uh, he went to Starfleet. You know, and left the Klingons, and that—that's his thing because he was—he was raised by humans, and and you know, Klingons don't accept him anymore because he's soft. That's a—that's a serialized thing within Star Trek. It's canon, and it's a continual story. It would come up every every episode or so. You know, someone would would say something like a Klingon would say, "Well, you're soft," you know, but it wouldn't be a—it wouldn't be the episode. You know, like you wouldn't—you wouldn't need to. You knew that was part of it when they would mention it was be like an inside joke, but it wouldn't be something that you need to watch every freaking episode to know what was going on. And right. it's just annoying that this is what TV is now. Like we're, we're watching Ozark, and like we have to watch every episode. Like I can't just watch an episode of Ozark and like you right, know you have to binge it. You have to binge, I have to it. binge the thing. It's like, created to be binged. 
not created you know, to watch weekly. That's right. And because that's when, that's, that's when the, the next generation came now. out in nineteen eighty seven, you, you couldn't you couldn't binge it. You had to you couldn't remember necessarily what happened on the previous Saturday or Sunday. So that's you, right. That's right. right. It had to be that way. And that's why when when Maria uh, tells me she wants to get, watch a new show, I'm like, I don't want to get into a new show because I gotta I gotta commit to it. Right. I just want to watch documentaries. I, I have you know? anxiety committing like there's so many shows that i want to watch that it becomes overwhelming because i don't know where to start and i know once i do i have to commit and i and and, and i just i can't i end up just not doing it i i, I completely agree i, I end up just watching agree. youtube videos or something I mean, exactly exactly in fact you know, I, all i watch is like mcu uh, youtube video but, but what you know what's ridiculous is like the binging thing started from shows that were that were not you couldn't binge them, like, necessarily. So, like, Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad and and some of those shows, when they originally came out, they weren't – you couldn't binge them. Like, they were weekly shows. That's right. Right? And then, yeah. and then of course, they come out with DVD sets, but once everything was available on streaming, then those shows became, like, binge-worthy. That's right. And you would just go nuts or on-demand, you know, and then people would just go nuts with it. That's right. That's right. I mean, I, I do remember, like, um, you ever watch Heroes on NBC? No, people said I had to get into that, and I never did. I so never got the, into fir- it. I, the first season of Heroes, a lot of people don't like the show. The first season of Heroes, in my opinion, is my favorite all-time single season of any TV show ever. And but it has to be treated as like a unit, right? Like, and that is a binge-worthy thing. But, but beyond that, it's like it should be its own little box. And there's a lot of examples of like that where you know I start a show and like I really really like it, and then it kind of moves on, and then I can't binge it anymore. I'm sick of it. Like I just can't do it. Another one recently, I was doing Agents of Shield. You ever watch that? Oh yeah. I again, like I can't, I can't get into these shows because I feel like if I don't watch every single episode, I'm going to miss something. Right. So exact same feeling with Agents of Shield. I watched the first three seasons. I thought they were amazing. There were these really cool story arcs. The third season was killer, and then it ended. And then like three or four episodes into season four, I was just like, I don't like this anymore. But it made me anxious. Because there was still season four, five, six, and seven left. Exactly. And I was like, I want to see it to fruition, but I don't have the time, and I don't really like this that much. See, here's the thing, and I'm and I'm going to tell you this right now. The reason I didn't watch Agents of Shield is because I was I was reading that it tied into the MCU, and if it tied into the MCU somehow, now I would be committed because I would have to watch it to understand what was going on in the movies, and and uh... and, and now Disney Plus. Is coming out with these with these MCU related move with these shows, and I have to watch every single one of these shows. I'm gonna watch so, the Loki show. I'm gonna watch the Wanda show. I'm gonna watch the Falcon show. Uh, there's another one, and I don't even remember the name of that one. And I'm gonna watch that one because every single one of these shows I'm interested in, and I need to I need to know how they're gonna tie into these series, especially. Yeah. The Wanda one because that one's going to tie into Doctor Strange, which is probably my my the one I'm looking most forward to besides the next Spider Man, and the Loki one because I need to know where he went after he stole the Tesseract. I have to know this. 
So they're, they're crushing my life right now. It's a good thing that, you know, my job is not as full as it used to be because I have like swaths of like hours sometimes in between patients that I can pull a, a half an hour episode in. Nice. If they're only half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> that I can sit and I can well, watch. Look, Agents things. of Shield. Uh, it's a you know. The, so one of the things about Agents of Shield is first of all, it's a network show. It was on ABC. So so the the approach of it is a little bit different. It's 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 almost a procedural. It's almost like a Law and Order in, in a sense, and it has similar characteristics to a Law and Order. The way like the cast is set up and everyone has their little roles and everything kind of comes together at the end of episodes. There are cliffhangers and things like that, but it is very much, in my opinion, it, it is a procedural. But it it does, it of course makes reference to the MCU, but it's so subtle that it doesn't impact. There's nothing you need to know. Oh, okay, all right. Well. Like, yeah, could it? Could you? You're not waiting with bated breath to learn anything that's going to be relevant to any of the other movies or anything in the future necessarily. Well, didn't Coulson like wasn't Coulson brought back from the dead in in that in that show? Yeah, that they explained that in the first basically in the first season. So there are things, of course, that you learn about those characters through the show, and anything that relates to the MCU that's not shown. Like there are no Avengers in Agents of Shield, at least in the first three or four seasons. They make reference to the Battle of New York. Or they make reference to the Avengers, but nothing is like groundbreaking that you have to know that information to plug some hole in one of the movies. It's just not how it is. Okay. It serves it's, own, it's only built to serve its own story arc. It's not. And you're not. Built. You're not going to go back and watch the rest of it. I mean, I want to. I'm just. I. I, I kind of just. You know. I don't know. The see. See. I guess maybe season four just hit a wall for me, and I need to go back to it at some point. When do you when do you have time to watch all these shows? Just at night, like from nine thirty to like twelve, I'll watch something. Oh my god! <laughs> Not yeah, every 12, night. Jesus, twelve. I'm hoping that I'm already into my like second sleep cycle. Right, but if it's something interesting, it'll it'll keep me up, you know. But but generally speaking, I mean, you know, I I work from from seven to seven, so it's like pretty much. Uh, yeah. All right. So. You know, I have very minimal time during the day. You know, on the weekends or whatever is fine too. But you know, I'm always I'm always on, so to speak, with, with the job. So right. Just, well, look, we're we're gonna have to come back another time. You're gonna have to come back another time so we can get into the MCU because we didn't even get into that. Yeah, I know. Because there's uh there's there's big things that I that I wanted to I wanted to get into about the snap, but we didn't even get into that. Well, what about the snap? I mean, the snap. Well, there's this whole thing about whether or not it was a good idea. Were you talking about the snap that killed everyone? And then... No, the, undoing it. The undoing of the snap is what you don't like. The undo... It, it's, it's whether or not it was a good idea. And, and we, could, we, we could do an entire podcast on that. Because if we start on that right now, we're going to go until midnight. Well, just <laughs> where the hell is... is the MCU even headed right now. Isn't it basically a, a, an alternate universe at this point? Like it's basically. Well, they're, I think phase, phase four is now going to be like a multiverse. That's why, that's why this Wanda show is going to be so cool because but multiverse, it means different 
universe, like parallel universes, different storylines occurring at the same time, but in different time and space. Well, no, what they're, what they're, my, what I understand it is they're going to be able to, now that they've introduced a multiverse, what they can do now is basically say anything is possible. So anything is possible and everything that previously happened can never be taken away. So like, you know, like how, like, um, you know, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man happened, right? And then the um, the new guy, um, the new Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield. Oh, and then, and then, right, Andrew Garfield and then the Thomas. The, the yeah. Tom Holland one. But, yeah. So Andrew Garfield came along and everyone's like, so did the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man like not happen? Like right. it's not real? Like are we just rebooting him? Is this a sequel? Is this like a, another universe? And everybody like, you know, comic book fans are like weird like that. And, and I, I'm one of those people. I'm weird like that. I'm like, I like the Tobey Maguire movies better than the Andrew Garfield movies. I thought they were better made. I like the, the characters better. I like the villains better. Um, it just was a better done story. Like, I just liked them. So are they just, did, did those not happen at all? Like, are they just gone? Like, they were ignoring them. Or are they just in another universe? They never mention that kind of stuff. Well, every, all the fans want it to be – the fans just want it to be linear, right? Everyone wants it to be linear. Well, they want it to be either linear or they want to have like some mention of it like, oh, we're not in that place. Right. Right? They're, we're in some other place. Um, and, and so what I think the MCU kind of does – when it, they did with this multiverse thing is they're saying, well, this is our prime universe. And now we can make stories either in this prime universe or in an other universe and everything that has happened before can never be taken away. So even if we make another Spider-Man, like if we recast Spider-Man from Tom Holland, Tom Holland Spider-Man still is there. He's still there somewhere. So then He's there's just, just an alt alternate universe. It's of Spider just another Spider-Man in another universe. This is another Peter Parker. So even if they yeah. recast, even if they recast Spider-Man as a young, as the exact same age Spider-Man, they can say this is not this is this is Spider-Man in another universe, as as the same age Spider-Man as Tom Holland was when we first cast him. He's just in another universe. But I think what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to do Miles Morales because they hinted at him. They're going to do Miles Morales, okay? Because they hinted at him in Far From Home, not in Far From I Home, in, uh, in Homecoming, and in, in, um, in Homecoming they hinted at him. What movies have come out since uh, uh, Endgame? Far From Home. That's, That's it. it. Right. That's it. And they they hinted at Miles Morales in Homecoming twice. Because um, the guy that he was interrogating when he came, you know, when he came in and the guy was in the car. I didn't see it. I haven't seen Homecoming. You didn't see Homecoming? So you, no, you, I didn't see it. you didn't? Yes, you did. You saw it with me. I don't think so. Nope. I don't think so. Okay. Well, there's a scene where he's, he go, he's, he's, he walks up to this guy who was selling the weapons and he's at his car and he like, flicks him with the web and, and hooks him to the car and he comes in with like interrogation mode and uh it's like it's like this thing and, and the guy's like where's your real voice i know what a girl sounds like uh -oh. you heard him talk before 
and um, he said something like, uh, "I don't want those weapons in this neighborhood. I have a I have a nephew that lives here." And then later on in the movie, like I think it's a deleted scene actually, um, you can see him still stuck to the car with the webbing on the phone. Oh. He says, and he says, "Yeah, Miles, I'm not going to make it." So it's he's talking about setting Miles. it up a little bit. Right? He's setting it. So they're they're going to do Miles Morales, which is fine. I think I love Miles Morales. I think he's a cool character. I, he has cooler powers than the Peter Parker Spider Man. Yeah. So I By think way, that's I'm what usually I'm hugely disappointed about the Defenders Netflix stuff. Like I really loved all that. I, I loved all of it. I don't, I don't know how much you watched of it. I haven't watched TV. anything outside the MCU. Anyway. Well, right. So tech. It's technically the movie guess, MCU. Right, the movies. Right, yeah. so you 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 should watch that. I mean, all this stuff's really good. Daredevil's really good. The Punisher is amazing. Even Jessica Jones is really good. It's all it's all good. I I wasn't the biggest fan of the Iron Fist, but Luke Cage was really good. Like, it's just it's good TV. But again, it's been it's binge. It's binge stuff. You you gotta stick it through. It's just like yeah, that's why a long ass movie. I got too many, but they're a little bit shorter because they're like eight episodes. Some of them. It's it's just too much, man. I got. I, and then I'd rather the just watch Defender a YouTube video. Where they all came together. Yeah, I know. Like I, everybody, every time I read about this stuff, everyone says the 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 non MCU movie stuff is really good. Um, I just can't. I I'm still waiting for the Disney Plus stuff. I think that's probably the only stuff I'm going to be able to watch. Yeah, um, yeah you, you should try to watch. Here's the thing about the Defenders on Netflix: is it's TVMA, so it's. You know, it's much more adult-oriented. Which yeah, is it, cool. do, it doesn't help that I can't really watch this stuff by myself. Right. Well, and part. also, I think, it, I mean, I think ultimately in, in The Defenders, uh, well, no, Jessica Jones has powers. They, but they're not so much power. It's more like, no, Luke Cage has powers, but it's, it's more like, um, like they're just angry and they're out for revenge kind of stuff. It's it's just darker and more violent, little and it's more like like Daredevil almost has like a mafia crime boss type vibe to it, which is pretty cool. So see that that would be cool to bring into the Spider-Man movie because right, but the way they treat the way they treat the Defenders, it's like the Defenders are like neighborhoods, and the Avengers are like countries you know what i mean like like the avengers operate like worldwide internationally whereas the defenders literally only operate in their own neighborhoods and like literally i mean their own neighborhoods like their own like sections of town but see that they all that live in new york that gets into that thing of like where were they when like loki was blowing up new york so they talk about the battle in new york all the time in the, Def- in the defender stuff where were they? And, and so part of it is like is like they're powered people, but they some of them at certain points don't want to be known, and they make reference to like the Battle of New York, and like if we get found out, you know, people are going to want to kill us because they don't like people with powers. So there's kind of that vibe to it, which is is, is interesting. Like, and they don't like Jessica Jones is like. Uh, like Brooklyn, I think it's like Brooklyn and like Manhattan, and like Luke Cage is like Harlem, and the Iron Fist is like the Upper West Side, and like they all have their own like neighborhood in New York City that they operate in. The Daredevil is in Hell's Kitchen, 
and it's everything that goes on and it's all about the city of new york and it doesn't really go beyond that uh so it's kind of cool in that way you should check it out all right all right should check it out all right well look thanks for coming on all right um my pleasure and uh i'd like to have you back at some point we'll keep going when uh when the more MCU movies come out, we'll keep yeah. this going. Look, we covered a lot of ground. We went from like uh, legal and political to you know entertainment. So happy to do it. There's well, I appreciate it, Jeff. All right, man. All right, thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.